0: Well, good morning. Do you know why I put this on the left side of the pedal board and the right side of the pedal board? Blake told me to. He's running this thing, these musicians. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Boy, if you joined us for the first time today, I appreciate that. I know sometimes it's hard to walk into a new place. And if you're joining us online, we're glad you're here. So if you own a home, you know that once a year, you get a notice from the county tax assessor, don't you? And you will need to pay this much money to remain in good standing, correct? And if you don't, well, then you get uh, an audience with the county tax assessor that maybe you wouldn't want. So I had a friend who was managing his parents' estate. This was out of state, and it was a high value house, and it was uh, low cash in the estate. So he had trouble making um, taxes. And so I found out what happens then is you go to tax court. To figure, and he got it figured out. But to pay, to remain in good standing with the county tax assessor, you need to pay your taxes. Well, I asked that question because I want us to wrestle with what does it mean or how do we stay in good standing with God? It's a whole lot more than writing a check. In fact, a check's not really gonna do that. And it's not about what we do or but how do? we stay in good standing with God. I want us to think about that this morning. So you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 2 Samuel 24, we're going to go all the way through this chapter and wrestle with the question, how do we stay in good standing with God? So we have been in First and Second Samuel, I think since just right after the Vietnam War ended. It's been a while. Uh, we're going to actually finish it today. A lot of you guys didn't think that was going to happen. You thought Jesus was going to come back, but no, we're going to finish that thing today. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And um, these last, the story of 1 Samuel is Israel moving from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. Uh, The people wanted a king. They wanted to rely on a king. And God said that's a bad idea, but they kept asking for a king. So he gave him one. His name was Saul. And he didn't do well. So he's out. God raised up another one, David. He did well for the most part, but he had some flaws and there were some pretty big consequences to that. We've talked about that. Well, these last four chapters, chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24, are not in chronological order. But the narrator gives us so we get a little bit more insight into David and his leadership and who he was. So with that being said, let's read verse 1. It says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Why? We're not sure. And it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So right away, David's going to commit... Do a census, which is not the will of God, which is actually um, an evil act, of, uh, an act not of faith. And it says the, the Lord incited incited David, and we say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. God can't cause evil." So, so, so how do we how do we justify that? How do we process that? Let me give you one more thought on this. Set um, First Chronicles twenty one one talks about this same incident. It says this: Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So. I think as we look at the Bible, we could say God doesn't cause evil, but he allows evil. And he works his purposes through it. He redeems it for his good. But he's never the originator. He's never the cause of evil. Having said that, the question we've got to ask is why does David want a census? What is it? Well, Joab, who's the leader of his army, who in Scripture, First and Second Samuel, doesn't seem very godly at all, questions David on it. And he says this, The king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that's really north to south, and register the people that they may know the number of people. Here's the question. But Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord, the king, still see. But why... Does my lord the king delight in this thing? He's asking David his motivation. Why do you want a census? Joab's got his suspicions. It may be for wrong reasons. We don't know uh, about the discussion between Joab and David, but verse 4 says this Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went from the presence of the king to register the people of Israel. Verses 5 through 7 are his itinerary. I'll let you read that on your own. Verses 8 and 9 say this. But when they had gone about through the whole land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. That's how long, nine months and 20 days, how long it took. And Joab gave the number of the registration of the people of the king and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. Now, uh, scholars will debate, was that actually 800,000 or 800 military units in Israel, 500,000, 500 military units, thousands could be used. That word could be used a couple different ways. But here's what's significant. David wanted to know how many soldiers do I have? How many fighting men do I have? Why would you want to know that? The bigger the number, the more secure you feel. This is an issue of security. If my army's big enough. And Joab said, you, you, you don't even need to really worry about that because God can multiply numbers of soldiers right, right away. Do you know you and I can make the same mistake? What mistake? Misplaced security. I think my security is in my retirement account or bank account. That's not saying you shouldn't save. But if you think, if I think our security there, you don't know how quickly a change in the stock market can wipe that out. My security is in my boyfriend or my girlfriend. and That's a lot of pressure to put on my spouse, on in my parents. My security is in the fact that I'm a Top-notch athlete. Well, that can be taken from you. (laughs) They all retire. I'm really smart. I got this on the whatever ACT. I got that. Misplaced security. Well, in verse 10, David realizes something's wrong. Verse 10 says, now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. Why? Misplaced security. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. Not sure what triggered David's change of heart, why he couldn't listen to Joab before and not take the, secure, not take the census, but he did. If you've been with us, you have seen David's a flawed king. He's supposedly Israel's best king, but he's a flawed king. We have seen many, many failures. This is just one more. The question I have is, why does God put up with him? Why does God stick with David when he is such a mess? I'd say this. David's a repentant king. Okay. The first king's king uh, was a guy named Saul, and there were a couple incidents, but in one uh, God said to the prophet Samuel, Saul, I want you to go. I want you to wipe out the Amalekites and I want you to take out all the livestock. So the battle happened and Israel won and the prophet Samuel showed up and Saul said, I do everything the Lord said. And Samuel said, oh, what's that? What's that I hear, that bleeding of sheep? The instructions were all the livestock. Oh, oh, Saul says, that, that, was, that was the people who did that. So you are going to blame? And he said, oh, we're going to offer the, the animals for, for sacrifice. Now you're going to rationalize. What makes David different here is he repents. I've done, I've sinned greatly. I'm not arguing, I'm not excusing, I'm not rationalizing, I'm not minimizing, I'm owning it. God said, I can roll with a guy like that. I can roll with a woman like that. Big sinner, but a big repenter. So God sends Gad, the prophet, to tell of his response. And so we, we wonder, how, how will God respond on this? Verses 11-13, when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and speak to David. Thus the Lord says, I'm offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So Gad, so Gad came to David and told him and said to him, here's number one, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Two, or will you... F- Flee three months before your foes while they pursue you, or three, or shall there be three days' pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Andy, that's not fair. David sinned, and the people are going to suffer. Any one of these, even if he chooses number two where he's being chased by his foes, that's going to affect Israel. The leadership's put out. Why do the people have to suffer for David's sin? And after three years of seminary, my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know citizens suffer for the sins of their leaders. There's a corporate impact of sin sin you sin I sin it will affect those around us and now David's got to live with his sin I've given you three options here David you got to pick one what do you think David will do verse 14 I think he makes the best decision he's made in this whole passage then David said to Gad I'm in great distress I'll bet you are Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. David said, I tell you what, I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God. I'm going to suggest when you come face to face with your shortcomings, you don't rationalize before, you don't minimize before God. You, You own it and you throw yourself on the mercy of God. One thing I never, ever do, I never demand justice of God. Because you know what justice says about me? I spend an eternity separated from God. When you and I come to the end of our failings, when we come to our shortcomings, let's take a lesson from David and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. So, verse 15, the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, "It is enough. Now relax your hand." And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, and we'll talk about Aruna the Jebusite in just a minute. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw an angel who was striking down the people and said, "Behold, it is I who have sinned, and it is I who have done wrong. But these people—what have they done? Innocent people are suffering for my sin. That's right, folks. That's how it rolls." You and I sin, our loved ones, innocent people, suffer. Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Again, David's calling out for mercy. God, in your mercy, nothing I've earned. I don't have anything to deal. Would you relent? Interesting thing. um, 70,000 men. Of the people from Dan to Beersheba. Again, innocent people suffering. But these are f- probably soldiers. David, I'm going to take from you what you're counting on so you can know you need to trust in me. Again, why does God put up with David? Well, the first time Saul failed, Prophet Samuel said, God stripped the kingdom. From your hand, I'm going to have a man after my own heart. And he was talking about David. The heart's where we live life. It's our emotions, our values, our priorities. We make decisions out of the heart. When the Bible's not talking about a it's talking about that place from which we live life. David, though he is flawed, <laughs> deeply flawed, he's still a man after my own heart. In the end, when he, comes, he he wants what I want. Yeah, I can roll with a guy like that, even though he's flawed. See, see, we wrestled with this question, how do we stay in good standing with God? Here's what we learned from David. A devoted and repentant heart keeps us in good standing with God. A devoted and repentant heart keeps us in good standing with God. So the, the question is, when we get confronted with our sinful actions, our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, how do we respond do we minimize? That's not a big deal. Yeah, it is. You're rebelling against it. It's a big deal. Rationalize, oh, it's their fault. Blame somebody else's fault. Do we try and deal with God? Pay him back. That's a freshman in college I went to. If you've been to UNL, what would be the kind of big red welcome is Saturday night classes start on a Monday, and you go through the the Memorial Student Center, and you're getting coupons or you're getting stuff, and somebody goes, hey, you want to fill out a religious interest survey? Sure, filled it out, forgot about it because I'm gathering coupons, don't you know? Tuesday, there's knocking knock on my door. Do you remember filling this out? No, but that's my handwriting. I got involved in a dorm Bible study, and for the next six months, I would hear the gospel every week. The gospel being that Jesus died for my sin and rose again, and, and what I couldn't get past is I couldn't work my way. I'd been I, I up in a religious system where you pay God back. And if there was one set of verses that tripped me up, it was Ephesians 2.8.9. 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this phrase, this phrase got me. Not as a result of works. Those six words got me. Finally, February of my freshman year, I, I just thought, I, I, I've heard this for the hundredth time. I either need to get in, this is the word of God and I need to follow. it, I just need to stop going. And I made the decision that day. And, and, and what I came to realize is I can't pay God back for my sin. I can't do enough good. I need to throw myself on the mercy of God. Boy, if you've never trusted Christ right, right now might be the time to do that. That's the gospel message, the good news. You and I have failed. We're like David. We're flawed, deeply flawed. Jesus came and lived the life we are supposed to live in complete submission to the Father. According to the plan, in a mockery of trial, he was convicted, term in quotes, certified dead in the cross, stuck a spear in his side, put in the tomb on a Friday, sealed with a rock, secured with a Roman guard. We're going to keep the old boy in there, and that lasted until Sunday morning. Out he came. If you've never trusted Christ, this is where it begins. It's the ultimate show of God's mercy when he gave Jesus. We're throwing ourselves on God's mercy, and he has shown it in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted him, now is the time. And as we deal with our sin, are we repentant people? We turn when convicted. Well, we still got this guy, Aruna the Jebusite. The Jebusites were, remember, they were original inhabitants of Jerusalem. And when David came in, uh, conquered the city, this guy, I guess, chose to stay. He was a wealthy guy. So here's what it says. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, "Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite." David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants coming over toward him, and Aruna went and bowed his face to the ground before the king. Then Aruna said, "Why has my lord the king come to his servant?" David said, "To buy the threshing floor." from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be held back from the people. Aruna said to David, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let the Lord my king take and offer what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. That's all yours, David. Everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. David's not having it. Look at verse 24 and 25. However, the king said to Aruna, No, 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 no. But I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer from the land. And the plague was held back from Israel. This is a significant place. Uh, The next generation... Saul's, or David's son Solomon built a temple. And he built it at this exact place. 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. It says this. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father at the place David had repaired on the threshing floor. It's a different spelling, but it's the same man, Ornon, the Jebusite. This place is a sacred place. And it's really in this same space that a thousand years later, Jesus would die on a cross, not far from here. See, David's foreshadows the people of Israel giving prized animals and prized sacrifice to God. See, it's a devoted heart. Out of response of what God has done to me, I will give my best. And the guy says to David, "I'll, I'll, I'll, I'll just give this to you." And David said, "I'm not having it. I'm not going to offer something to God that doesn't cost me something." Well, we've taken that principle in the New Testament in the Book of Romans. Paul says we're we're living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. There's that term again. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your life, my life, is a sacrifice to God. I've often heard somebody when they preach on this say that the trouble with a living sacrifice, it keeps running off the altar. My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. We're in submission to God. I'm not free to do what I want. I'm bound by God as he reveals himself in his word through the Holy Spirit. Why would we give our lives? Because we believe God's worth it. Like David said. We're talking a devoted and a repentant heart. That's what keeps us in good standing with God. So I think it was about week two of my freshman year at Texas A&M. I was going along and this was a uh, a temporary student lot where people could park. And I noticed on all the windshields, there's a, a blue flyer on every one of them. So I thought, what does that blue flyer say? I couldn't park there. I was a freshman. We had to park way off campus, but I'm curious. What does that blue flyer say? And the blue flyer said, if you're not out of here by midnight Thursday, you'll be towed. What's that? Well, you need to know that Saturday was the first home football game. But I hadn't quite connected those things. And this parking lot was about 50 yards from the main entrance to Kyle Field, where the team played. Friday, I figured out the RVs are driving up. I don't know how many they could get in there 15 or 20 or 30. I don't know how many. And you just couldn't drive in there. There was a list. Is your name on the list? Okay, you you can go in. Do you want to guess? How you got on that list? You donated a lot of money. That's what you did. And do you know how you stayed on that list? You know how you stayed in good standing? Yeah, keep writing the check every year. Write the check, and you can you can park right there. You're 50 yards from Kyle Field. You're about 50 yards that way from the Student Center. You can enter the life of Texas A&M again for a price, huh? For a price. That's how you stay in good standing. You can park in that lot. Well, staying in standing, good standing with God ain't nothing about writing a check. Ain't nothing about doing or saying or saying. It's, it's about the condition of your heart. It's the condition of my heart. Are we living with a repentant and devoted heart? Because that will keep us in good standing with God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven. We're challenged by David, a flawed man, absolutely. And yet you never gave up on him. That's, that's encouraging. Um, we learned he was a repentant man. He was a devoted man. He would give himself fully to you. And we turned turn completely when you said it was time to turn from his sin. Lord, that we'd be those kind of men and women who would be so in love with you, so caught up by the mercy of God, so confident in your goodness, that we'd live with a devoted and repentant heart. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.